welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. John chapter 8, while you're turning there, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions this evening and maybe see if I can't get a little bit of feedback from the crowd for a couple of minutes, all right? If I could ask you guys, in the Bible, God is a God of judgment, but also a God of mercy. And I was taught there was only one sin that God cannot forgive. True? What is that sin? I hear a whole bunch of Somebody said what? Okay, Brother Meralt says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Somebody else said unbelief. Anybody else? Say that again. Somebody says unbelief. Somebody says pride. Somebody says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Anybody know for sure? Smoking camels, all right? <laughs> I don't know. Rachel was saved in the Bible, and the Bible says she lit off her camel, so she smoked too. <laughs> I was always taught that the sin of unbelief was the only sin that could send you to hell. Is that generally what people believe and have heard? That's the only sin that will send you to hell. Before I go any further, let me ask you this. We, in our own minds, we know that there is no classification in Scripture of sins, but nevertheless, we still classify them in our own minds, do we not? You have, you have your minor sins, then you have your medium sins and then your big bad sins, all right? All right. So we would classify them as really bad, right? These are, are terrible. These are despicable. Then you have your bad. These are wicked. And then you have your kind of bad. These are bad, but not as bad as doing some of these other things, correct? So in our really bad, in your despicable sins, we would classify maybe drugs, uh, murder, anything else? Say that again. Homosexuality, anybody else? These are, these are really bad sins here for a minute. All right, rape, we could even say uh, fornication or adultery, you would class in, in, classify in your bad sins, all right? These are your really bad sins. Then you have your, your sort of bad sins. Or, or, I'm sorry, you have your bad sins, and we would classify that like smoking, drinking, right, uh, bigger lies, uh, stealing as long as it's, you know, something more than a bubble gum or, you know, something minor. You would classify these as your middle sins. Am, am I wrong here? This is what we do, is it not? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything that we don't all do in our own minds. So our bottom sins are what? All right, that's, that's your minor stealing, all right? Your minor stealing, your minor lying, uh, pride, uh, what else would we throw in there? Gossip. All right, these are, these are your more minor sins, correct? And the reason that these are your more minor sins is we expect people, in, in, a, in a sense, we expect people to lie to us to a minor degree. And we expect, you expect growing up that sooner or later you're going to have to deal with your kids stealing something to a degree, correct? And we expect amongst ourselves uh, for people to be proud. 
to deal with the issue of pride, correct? So these, these are what we classify as minor. Things that you don't expect people to do are your, your bad sins. And then you have your terrible. That's what we send people to prison for, those kinds of things, all right? Right? Here's, here's what I was taught growing up. I always understood that unbelief was the only sin that would send you to hell. And my parents tried to classify for us, and you still do this in your own mind, that sin is sin no matter what, with the one exception of unbelief. I don't believe that any longer. All right? I believe there's one sin that will send you to hell, and I don't believe it's unbelief. All right? Let's look at a verse real fast. Matthew, uh, actually, let's read John chapter 8. All right? We're there. John chapter 8. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto her, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's pray before we begin too much further. Father, we ask now that you would speak to our hearts through the message this evening. Father, may we change something in our lives. May we leave difference in the way we walked in. Father, I pray that you would take what is said, fill it with your spirit, with your power, change it in people's hearts and minds that you might work, that your work might be done in their own life in the way that they need the word tonight. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we see the story of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They're bringing this lady to Jesus. They said, Jesus, uh, they've already at this point tried to trap him a number of ways, all right? You guys know that. Every time Jesus tried to do something good, here are the Pharisees trying to ensnare him into doing something or into condemning himself through what he says. So they bring this woman to Jesus. Jesus... The law, now, is the law the Bible? Absolutely. Okay? The law, this is what Moses wrote, which we have as the scriptures, commands us to stone somebody caught in the act of adultery. And we caught this lady in the very act. What do you think we should do? Now, for just a minute, let me preface this by saying, I am not condoning sin in any way. Okay, I'm not saying that adultery isn't bad. It's bad. It's sin. It's wicked. Okay, but Jesus looked at her, and the first words out of his mouth, other than "Where are thou thine accusers?" and she said, 
Does nobody hear God? No man condemn thee, neither do I condemn thee. Now, in our own hearts and minds, this is a foreign concept because if we found out in and amongst ourselves that somebody in this congregation was committing the act of adultery, you would automatically say they're wicked. That's a terrible thing. Correct? In our own minds, that would be a wicked thing. In fact, from then on, at least for a period of time, you would have a hard time walking into church and not looking at them or treating them any differently if you knew that about them. But God looked at her and he said, I don't condemn you. Now, he did say go and sin no more. He classified this as a sin. But he said, listen, this is not something I'm going to condemn you for. This is one of our big sins. But to God, it's just like every other. This is when the Pharisees said, hey, God, look, top of our list too. What are we going to do about this? God said, no, 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 I'm not condemning her for that. Now we're going to step back. The only sin I was taught that would send you to hell is unbelief. Jesus said that the devil, look at James chapter 2. Let's turn there, James 2, I think it's verse 18. No, verse 19. says, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So hang on, if unbelief would send you to hell, Satan would go to heaven. Because he believes. Correct? If unbelief sent you to hell, when Jesus condemned the Pharisees, they would still go to heaven because they believe. So therefore, unbelief will not send you to hell. The only sin that will send you to hell is pride. Satan's sin was not unbelief in God. It was pride that he did not need God. You know, the only sin that will send a man to hell is pride. It's amazing that what God classifies as the biggest sin is what we classify as minor. Because we expect it in each and every one of us. If I had to title my message tonight, I would title it, Judgment is in the Wrong Place. Because really, in our own minds... We love to classify everybody's sins, and we love to go, I can't believe they would do that. And every time we do that, we're manifesting that pride in, a, in our own lives. And God says, hang on just a minute. Lady that committed adultery, I don't condemn you. Those that brought her full of pride, you're the ones I condemn. Now, that's a foreign concept to us because we like to think that pride is not that big a deal. Everybody deals with it. Everybody has a problem with it. That's true. But God says this is the worst sin imaginable. Pride. Pride is what sent Satan to hell. I will be like the Most High. I will. It wasn't unbelief. It, it's not unbelief that will send the Pharisees to hell. The Pharisees were good people that believed in the law. They believed in the coming Messiah. They believed in God Almighty. They believed that Jesus Christ was coming to earth to pay for their sin. That was the coming Messiah. But they were too proud to admit they needed the Messiah standing in front of them. You're going to tell me 
that somebody who committed miracle or, or, or uh, performed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, they had no clue that this was really God? They knew. It wasn't unbelief. It was pride. Here's our problem. We don't classify sin the way God does. God says, here it is. Pride, everything else. Now, we love to stand in judgment of somebody else and the terrible thing that they did, especially if it was committed against us. But nobody loves to stand in judgment of themselves because of their pride. You know, the average person that walks in this church and the average church member that doesn't get saved for a period of time, you know what the reason is? Pride. It's pride. You've seen people sit in church for years and not accept Christ. It's not unbelief. It's pride. And God says, hang on, let me explain something to you. You know, it's hard to stand in judgment of somebody even for the act of murder, and I'm against murder, and for adultery, and I'm against adultery when I've got pride in my own life. It's hard for me to judge somebody else for the things that they've done when I've got the greatest sin right here. And if each of us are willing to admit, hey, you know what? The greatest sin is within me. How can I judge somebody else? That's why God says, don't judge your brother for the moat that's in his eye when you have a beam in your own eye. Who is he talking to? You. Me. He said, well, I don't have a beam. Uh, hello. You're the one he's talking to. That was written for you. That was written for me. You know what the beam is in each of our own lives? Pride. You know, I would say on average in this room, huh, nobody really... You know why we like to classify murder as a big sin? Because we don't have a problem with it. Right? And we love to classify uh, uh, adultery as a big sin because we don't have a problem with that. And drugs, that's terrible. I don't have a problem with that. Right? So all these things that I don't have a problem with, those are really bad. Now these things that I might be faced with, those are bad. But not as bad as those things that I'm not even tempted by. Right? Now, these things that get me every day, this issue of pride, this issue of little lies, uh, man, those are little things because that's what I deal with. And every time it relates to me, it's a little thing. And every time it relates to somebody else, it's a bigger deal. Do we notice a cycle here in our own minds and lives? Am I wrong or do we all do this? God says... Pride, arrogancy, the evil way do I hate. Pride cometh, then cometh shame. Pride goeth before destruction. Have you ever done a word, a word study in the Bible on destroy? Look at where destroy is mentioned. God destroyed the earth with a flood. God destroyed the Tower of Babel. God destroyed uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what these are? These are God's wrath. We don't find God's wrath poured out on very many sins in Scripture. You know what we do find it poured out on? Pride goeth before destruction. I will destroy it with my wrath. Look at those in Bible. 
the first person, of course, is in all of our minds when we think of pride is the Pharisees. But beyond that, look at King Nebuchadnezzar. Pride would not admit God. God said, listen, pride must be dealt with. His sin was not fornication or adultery. His sin was not murder. His sin was not unbelief. His sin was pride. And God said, I'll show you how I deal with pride. He said, you know what? You're going to crawl around like a beast and you're going to eat grass for a few years until we can deal with this whole pride issue. How did God deal with Haman, one of the proudest men in Scripture? Oh yeah, I'll teach you what happens to somebody who's proud. I'll hang you on the gallows you built for somebody else. Pharaoh? What does Pharaoh tell Moses? I don't believe you're God. I don't need your God. I am the world power right now. What happened to Pharaoh? Uh, let's see. Ten plagues, his son gets destroyed, and his armies get swallowed up. Oh, uh, you're the world power, all right. And these servants, God, just destroyed you. God says, you know what? I can deal with a lot of things, but the issue of pride, I can't deal with it. And it's the only thing that will send a man to hell. You know, in our own lives, it's time that we stop judging everybody else for everything they do and say the greatest sin is right here. You know, you know why gossip exists? Pride. That's why it exists. Well, I can't believe they did this. Well, I can't believe you're talking about them. I'm going to give you a few, few ways that we can detect pride in our own lives and deal with it. Number one, you know that you have pride in your life and you deal with major pride. If you tend to notice others' faults more than your own, you know, it's, it's hilarious to me to drive with people. I do this too, okay? It's funny to drive with people and hear them yell at other people for being a crazy driver. I'm like, have you ever seen yourself drive? You know, you're not the greatest driver either. Put on your blinker, you idiot, and you don't put yours on. For real. You go, don't drive and talk on the cell phone, and you do it. Don't, I hate it when people talk and, or text and drive. Somebody's honking at you behind you at the light because you're sitting there texting on your cell phone. Am I right? Now, we love to point it out in other people, but we hate to see it in our own lives. You know why? Because that's something we deal with. Every time you notice somebody else's sin, somebody else's problem, you know what you are doing? You are magnifying a light on the pride in your life. You are shining a light saying, look right here, proud, me. I'm shining the light on it right here. Every time you get angry, the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. Every time you get angry out there on the road, you know what you're saying? I'm proud. It's me. Look at John chapter 9. And turn over one, one chapter here. The story is, there's a, a man that's born blind. All right? He's blind from his birth. Jesus comes along. Jesus heals him. John chapter 9, verse 30. First of all, before I read this, the Pharisees now have come to him and are saying, oh, who was it that healed you? And he said, yeah, it was Jesus. And they, we're going to go talk to your parents. His parents say, oh, we don't know. 
you know, you have to ask him. He's, he's of age. Now, they're scared. And they come back to him saying, who was it? Are you sure it was Jesus? Look at verse 30. The man answered and said to them, why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence it is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. He's saying, hey, look, you idiots. Let me help you out. This is a pretty fabulous thing. You guys are supposed to be the smartest people in the religious world. And you don't have a clue who this Jesus is, but he still opened up my eyeballs. Verse 31, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? He's saying, uh, hello here, let me help you out. There's only one person I know of that can, that can heal a blind man's eyes, somebody that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and thou dost teach us. And They don't even know who this guy is. Oh, you were born in sin, not us. We go to church, but you were born in sin. Now, did you know what is, happens at the beginning of this chapter? Jesus is walking along the road, and they meet this man that was blind from his birth, and the disciples said, Jesus, who was it that sinned, this man or his parents? Who was it that gave the disciples their religious instructions for the previous 30 years or 40 years before Jesus came on the scene? The Pharisees! You know why automatically they think if something's wrong, it was because of sin? Who were they taught by? The Pharisees. They didn't learn this from Jesus. Their religious instruction had just come along a little time before this from Jesus. They haven't been with him very long. They're trying to correct all this stuff they've learned from the Pharisees and implement Jesus' mind into their brain. This is a hard concept for them. Who sinned, this man or his parents? You know what was wrong with the Pharisees? The Pharisees were full of pride, and all they could notice was everybody else. Now let me ask you a question. Do you do that in your own life? It's easy to notice when somebody else says something they shouldn't say. It's easy to notice when somebody else has a spirit that isn't right. And let's correct that. Right? But when your wife says something about your spirit not being right, babe, that's the way it goes. Because we don't like to see it in us, but it's easy to pick out in other people. God says, hang on here. We've got it all mixed up. I don't care if they've committed murder this week. That sin of pride in thinking you're better than them makes you worse than them. That's what God says. This is the worst thing. Do you notice, do you tend to notice other people's faults more than your own? It's amazing. Some people have an uncanny ability to be in the wrong place at the right time. Well, I just happen to notice. Well, it's amazing. You always happen to be in the place to notice. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, some people just notice far more things than other people. Well, <clears throat> I just happen to be around more. Or you tell them, man, you sure do happen to notice a lot. Thank you. I mean, they 
pride themselves in being proud. And this is the way we deal with things. God says, listen, adultery, bad. Your pride, worse. You know you're full of pride if it's easy to have a harsh judgment for others. You know, it's amazing to me. We don't always even know the situation. Or you, get, you read about something in the papers and it says, you know, this person did this and they got eight years. I can't believe they only got eight years. They should have got 15 for that at least. You don't even know the whole situation. You don't even know what happened. You didn't sit in a three-week court process. You know, Barry Bonds just got out of trial. I'll bet you 85% of the guys in here know that, all right? You know it's easy to sit in judgment of Barry Bonds when we don't have a clue what went on. It's easy to say, well, of course he lied to the jury. Of course he knew what he was taking. You don't know that. Now, it's easy to judge him because it's easy to judge other people. But it's hard to place judgment right here. They said, well, you know, Pastor Hand, I know about this whole situation that Pastor handled, and he was really lenient on them. You know what you're doing again? You're magnifying that pride in your life. Or here's what we do. We say, I can't believe they got that much if it's somebody we like. If it's one of our friends, the judgment was too harsh. And if it's somebody we don't like, the judgment was not harsh enough. They deserved far more than that. Did you see what they did? What did they say? Jesus, here's a woman, adultery. Hang on. We caught her in the very act. Wow. What were you doing there? How, how did you do that? Correct? They say, well, God has blessed me with a gift for being able to discern other people's weaknesses. No, that's called pride. How did these people catch her in the very act? What were they doing there? Correct? This was obviously somewhere they should not have been at a time they should not have been there. How did they catch her in the very act? God says, yeah, it's bad. Your pride, it's getting worse. I mean, it started out bad. It started out terrible. It's just getting worse. It's magnifying itself. It's rearing its ugly head. This is far worse than I possibly could have imagined. You caught her in the act? What are you doing? For real. He said, uh, if you look at, if you look at the uh, Pharisees, these are the people that are constantly in judgment of other people. What does God say about the Pharisees in the book of Matthew? He says, ye who stone the prophets. That's fairly bad, I would say. Uh, you who stand in judgment of a blind man you don't even know. You who are finding people in the act of adultery. You're concerned about what other people are doing? For real? You're the ones concerned? That's how foolish we look when we puff ourselves up with pride. You know, you're full of pride if you feel comfortable talking with others of someone else's fault. If people feel comfortable coming to you, bringing problems to you, and you are not a leader, even, I've noticed this, even leaders 
when I have to bring something to Pastor or to Pastor Bob, I do not feel comfortable doing that. I mean, you do it because you have to. That's not something I feel comfortable with. If people feel comfortable talking to you about other people, you know what that says? You are so proud that we notice it and feel comfortable bringing our pride to you. It's amazing. In Scripture, you never see a Pharisee coming to Jesus by himself. They always come in a group. They always come in a group. There's always, and you know what they do? Uh, it's like they, they get together and they talk and they go to Jesus and he gives them an answer and they regroup and they huddle and they talk again and they try to figure this out. And they go back to Jesus with their answer and Jesus tells them something else. Hang on, we've got to regroup again. We've got to huddle up, guys. You know, we've we got to have this conference. Dial in our coach. Get him in here. They're always in a group. What can we do? You know, if people feel comfortable or if you feel comfortable going to other people, you're telling us you have a problem with pride. If you stand in judgment of people, this is what the Pharisees did. This is what their problem was. You know, there is a Bible way if you have a problem. It's what? Go to that person alone. You know, if you tell one person about their problem that cannot help you, if it's not pastor somebody that's in charge, all right? If you tell one person about somebody else's problem, well, I needed some counsel on how to deal with this. Let me give you some counsel. It's called Matthew 18, okay? That's all the counsel you need. Well, I just wasn't sure how to handle it. Hang on, I'll tell you. It's called Matthew 18. It tells you how to handle it. If you needed counsel, you know what you were doing? You were getting somebody else on your side. You were lifting yourself up with pride, justifying yourself and putting somebody else down. You know what that's called? Pride. You didn't need help. You didn't need counsel. You know, it's amazing to me. There are women who don't ever stop talking, and they can talk your ear off. But when it comes to dealing with a problem, I didn't know what to say. For real? You didn't have a clue what to say? First time I've ever seen you at a loss for words. There is a Bible way to deal with things. The Bible says go to them alone. Alone. If they won't hear you, then you go get one other person. You know that other person is supposed to be like a spiritual leader, a guide, a counselor, not your buddy. Right? Oh, yeah, they didn't listen to me. I went and I told them exactly what they were like and they wouldn't listen to me. So I went and got my friend, and we both told them. Then it says, if they won't hear it that way, then you tell it to the church. Well, the problem is we have it all mixed around. We tell the church first, not last. Well, I need to make sure people know what they are like. Can I give you a hint? People already know what they're like. But you're going to go ahead and tell them what you're like. When you tell somebody a problem that does not involve them, you are telling them exactly what you're like. You're saying, I'm a Pharisee. I'm puffed up with pride. You know you're full of pride if you stand in judgment of authority. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20. And the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. 
and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. Now they're speaking of Jesus here. Jesus has obviously just healed a man with a devil. And you know what they do? You know the only way to ha- cast out devils is if you have the prince of devils. You know it's amazing to me that people can be so retarded. <laughs> Jesus looks at him and he says, how does a devil cast out a devil? How, how do you cast yourself out? He says, obviously it has to be something greater than a devil to cast out a devil. But you know, at every turn, you see them standing in judgment of God, the ultimate authority. Every time they turn their heads, there was something else wrong with them. Can I help you out? If you have a problem with a teacher, if you have a problem with Pastor Bob, if you have a problem with Pastor Robbie, well, I knew Pastor Robbie before he was so high and mighty. Let me help you. If you have a problem with one of these guys or pastor, you know what you're saying? I, you're doing the very same thing, same thing Satan did to God. I will be like him. I have just as much knowledge and wisdom as they do. Who, who does he really think he is? I'm good too. If you ever tell your kids something negative, if you ever tell your spouse something negative about a teacher or an authority, you're saying, you're waving that flag again. Me, right here. I'm full of pride. God put authority there for a reason. You know, every time I see authority, uh, somebody rise up against authority in Scripture, it's never good. Uh, would you like to look at uh, Jorah, Datham, and Abiram? Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? What happened? Earth swallowed them up. What about Aaron and Miriam? Oh, that, that was simple. It was just leprosy. I mean, God didn't really put his judgment upon them. I mean, the earth didn't swallow them up. He just gave them a disease. Yeah. Every time you see somebody rise up against God's anointed, what's hap- what happens? You know why? Because God says, there again, we're dealing with the biggest sin imaginable, and it's called pride. If you feel as though only certain people can teach you anything. You know, again, when the, when the Pharisees uh, are standing in judgment of God saying, you know, who really healed this blind man? Are you sure it was Jesus? And he says, huh, listen, I'm going to tell you something, okay? I've already told you once and you didn't listen to me. You went and asked my parents and everything and you're coming back again now. I don't even know why I'm telling you again because I already told you, right? That's basically what he says. I already told you once, I guess I'll tell you again. I was blind. I didn't have any eyesight. I couldn't see, okay? Like, I would walk around and bump into stuff. That was me. And then this guy came along. His name was Jesus. It's hard to spell. J-E-S-U-S. I'm going to help you out. Jesus. And he touched me. And I know it was him because when I opened my eyes, he was the only one there. And it wasn't one of you guys, it was Jesus. Okay? How do you know it was Jesus? Because now I can see. I don't like bump into stuff anymore. And they said, you who were born in sins, how can you teach us anything? Now, do you get the ironic nature of this statement yet? How can you teach us anything? Well, this is a very, very 
difficult matter to understand. Jesus touched? See, no way. I don't believe it. How can you teach us anything? I'm not trying to teach you anything, but you're an idiot. I'm just trying to tell you what happened to me. You wanted to know. I've told you a couple times now. You've made me repeat it three times. Well, you can't teach us nothing. Do you know who we are? It's amazing we reach a point in our life. Huh, how can they teach us anything? Do you know how old I am? Hello. I am not a teenager anymore. There's no way a teenager can teach me anything. As soon as you reach the point where you can't be taught by somebody, what did, what did God do when he brought the child and set him on his knee? He told the disciples, what? You could learn something from this kid. You know what you can learn? Some faith. They have faith you don't have. If you would learn something from this kid, if you'd put down your pride for a minute and realize he has something to teach you, we get so puffed up with pride. Well, Brother Mark, he can't teach me nothing. I know, I know a lot more Bible than Mark does. He didn't even get saved until he was a teenager. Besides, I knew Mark in school. He can't be good. I know what he was like. I'm not letting him teach me nothing. Well, that preacher's boring. I can't learn anything from them anyways. We shut people off because they're boring. God says, hang on. I'm going to give you an authority. I'm going to give you the right man at the right time. Your authority is going to put, put the right person up here. Well, they're boring. They don't keep my interest. They can't teach me anything. You know what you're saying? Pride. You say, well, I'm older than they are. Well, I have more experience. I have been in church for 45 years now. Yeah, obviously it's 25 too long. Because you, you haven't learned anything for 25 years. You say, well, I've been a Christian for five years now. What else is there to know? Besides, have you ever noticed... Preachers only re-preach the same thing every time they get up anyways. I mean, how many new messages can you really preach? After pastor preaches a series of messages, how many times have you heard him say certain statements over and over and over again? Like, for the first year, every message is on, be filled with the Spirit. How many times do I have to hear that to be filled with the Spirit? One. If I go to church, I'm just going to hear another message on the Spirit. I already have that one down. This is honestly how we get in our own minds. We stop being able to be taught by certain people. Or certain people we have a conflict of interest with. We don't like their personality. We can't be taught by them anymore. Well, I know things they've done. If you only knew them like I knew them. <clears throat> if you only knew you like God knows you. That'd be a scary thing. You know we're full of pride when we fail to see the good and focus on the bad. You know why we fail to see the good in life? Because it makes us look better when we fail to see everybody else's good. And we can point out other people's bad in their life, then it makes us look better. Why do you think that the Pharisees constantly had to point out the negative in somebody else? That's what pride does. It must constantly lift yourself up. I know we're getting late. I'm going to hurry. This is the last and most important thing. We know we're full of pride when we're more worried about what people think than what God thinks. And it's so easy to come to church and worry about, I'm, I'm still down here at the altar and everybody else is gone. H have we not done that? Correct? Well, I don't want to be the last one here. That's, that's saying what? I'm worried about what 
people think, not what God thinks. Huh. Somebody, we're more worried about if somebody saw us chewing our nails than what our heart's like sitting in service. We're, we're more worried about how we look when we come into church than what our heart's like. And we'll spend more time primping and prepping for church by fixing our hair, ironing our clothes. And I think you ought to look good for church. Don't get me wrong. I think all these things are good. But God says, there's a problem here. The problem is you're not worried about what I think. You're worried about what everybody else thinks. That's called pride. God says, you know what I want you to be worried about? The same thing I'm worried about. That's the issue of pride in your life. You ought to look good, but you ought to be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. It's, it's easy to come into church and be more worried about a spot on our shirt, and we'll stick tracks, tall tracks, to cover up the spot in our shirt. We'll make sure our coat is buttoned up, or l ladies will have a sweater on, and it's like this. They get a spot down the middle, they'll button up their sweater. They're more worried about a spot on your shirt than if you get anything out of the message or not. And we wave that flag again. Here it is. I'm spotlighting the pride in my life. Somebody looked at you when you walked into church and said, hey, go to the bathroom. You would immediately head for the bathroom. Fix your hair. But if somebody, you walked into church, somebody said, where's your smile tonight? And it doesn't even bother us that we walk into church that way. But if our hair was messed up, that would bother us. God says, we have our judgment all wrong here. We're standing in condemnation of somebody in adultery when you've got the big problem. Mark chapter 7. Verse 6 says, He answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me. Can I help us out tonight? You know how often we walk into church and worship God in vain because this is here, but this is not. And God says, you're a Pharisee. You're all puffed up with pride, worried about what everybody thinks. And you could care less what me, God Almighty, thinks of you. Oh, you speak it good. You talk real good, but look at how you act. Howbeit in vain they do worship me. Look at verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. You know what the tradition of men is? Dress up nice, come to church three times a week. You know what the command of God is? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We lift ourselves up with pride. You know why God hates it so much? Because instead of loving God with all our heart and soul and mind, we place ourselves above God and we love ourselves with all our heart, soul, and mind. And God says, you have this all mixed up. Look at Matthew chapter 23. To me, this is one of the scariest passages in all of scripture and the reason i say this because honestly if you read this and take out the word pharisees and scribes and insert our own names too many times we fit right in this category matthew chapter 23 then spake jesus unto the multitude and his disciples saying the scribes and the pharisees sit in moses seat now put put your own name in here for a minute me i sit in moses seat all therefore whatsoever they bid you, observe that, observe and do. Now to this point, that sounds real good, does it not? Oh, listen, go to church, whatever, whatever they tell you at church, buddy, you do it. 
you listen to it, you do it, you follow it to a T, that's very important. Whatever they teach you, you make sure that you listen in class, you make sure that you do exactly what they tell you to do. But then read the rest of the verse. But do not ye after their works. Do what they say to do, but don't do what they do. You know why? They talk good, but they're full of pride. They sound good. They sound like they believe the Bible. They teach the Bible. They preach the Bible. But they don't live it because they're puffed up with them. You know what they live? Instead of loving God, they live loving me. Look at the rest. Of, look at later on in the chapter. He says, verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves me hell no way god do you realize who i am do you realize i love god do you realize i believe do you realize i attend church i know there's a god i believe in god god says that's not enough these people believed god said whatever they tell you to do do it what they say to do is good just don't do what they do because they're going to hell if you read the chapter three times it says they're going to hell how shall they escape the damnation of hell? They can't because they're full of pride. They can't because they're full of pride. How many church members will fall into hell one day that believed God but were too full of pride to realize they needed Him more than them? The scariest part about a proud person is they know how to look good. They know how to make people believe they're good. People still went to the Pharisees for counsel. This is, these were the religious leaders. These were the pastors and the teachers. They looked good. But God said, they're going to hell. Proud people know how to look good, make everybody think they're good, but inside the Bible says they're full of dead men's bones. Why did sepulcher... In, outside is clean, looks good. We walk in, we have that smile. How are you, brother? Good to see you tonight. We know how to talk spiritual, look spiritual, act spiritual. But inside, God says, Ugh, that's a scary place to be. King Saul, in the scriptures, started out as one of the greatest men who ever lived. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above all of Israel. And the Bible says that, that he was a goodlier man than all of Israel. What happened to Saul? Saul became more concerned about what the ladies sang. He was more concerned about what the ladies sang than killing one of the, one of the great God-haters and enemies of Israel. He wasn't even worried about that. All he was worried about is what those ladies sang about him. You know what that was? Pride. And a man who was one of the greatest men in all of Israel end up destroying his life, destroying the life of his family, destroying, messing up the kingdom because he was so puffed up with pride. But in our minds, David committed far worse sins. I mean, he murdered. He committed adultery. Those are way up there. But God exalted David because he said, you have humility. 
And that humility is far greater than any of these other things. And that murder, that was bad. You shouldn't have done that, David. And that adultery, that was wicked. I can forgive that, but I can't look past that pride. Maybe our judgment is in the wrong place. Maybe it's time we look inside ourselves and say, man, God, I've been judging everybody else and everything else way too hard, way too long, when really the judgment should be turned right here. This is where it belongs, in the pride of my own heart, in the pride of my own life. God, help us. Father, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Help us to learn a little bit and examine our own hearts and say, I must deal with this issue of pride in my life. God, may we never stand in judgment of others. May we never lift ourselves up. May we examine our own hearts where we've let pride overtake us. It's easy to judge other people for little things when that pride has crept in and destroyed our own lives. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.